All right, everybody. Hello. Welcome to Wednesday. Well, I don't know. It's Thursday. Thursday at 12 noon. This is the Deep End Podcast. I'm so glad that you're here. My name is Tim. I'm excited to answer your questions. Many of you submitted them to us online through the text number. You can still do that, and you can uh, also submit your questions on the comment section below this video live on Facebook or listening on SoundCloud or YouTube, wherever you're watching or listening to this. Welcome to the Deep End. Waters Church presents the Deep End Podcast Hot Topics. And it is a special Hot Topics edition of the Deep End Podcast. And again, this is the plan for the series Hot Topics is to have you ask questions uh, pertaining to the topic from the weekend. So you guys asked some questions about this one. Last weekend, we talked about human sexuality. Again, it was part two of human sexuality. And there below me on the screen is the phone number. These are anonymous. I will not know who you are, so feel free to ask these questions even as we go. We've got a lot of questions already pre-asked from the weekend. So excited about this. You guys are definitely interested in getting some biblical answers to some sensitive questions. And I'm going to do my best as your pastor and as uh, a man to answer these questions for you off screen uh, today. Well, not off screen totally. Over here is Josh Pereira. He will be asking the questions. Hi, Josh. Hey, hey. Welcome again. Thank you very much. Glad to have you here. And you will notice that I have my friend, the skill saw. The skill saw is with us today in the studio. Say hello to the skill saw. <laughs> no, don't do that. That would be weird. This was the illustration we used last weekend for sex. Sex is like a skill saw. And if you didn't listen to the message, it was because I was trying to make, I'll, I'll give you the rundown. Uh, it was because I was trying to make this illustration that sex is a very powerful thing. It is a very intense thing. It is a very, uh, it is a very um, potent thing in our lives. And with this, it's just like a skill saw. With sex or a skill saw, you can build a home. You can build a family. You can have children. You can make a life for yourself. You can have a wonderful future, but you can also destroy yourself, much like the skill saw. You could build a home with a skill saw. You could also wreck a home with a skill saw. And we talked about this uh, last weekend, which is that you've got to operate the skill saw in accordance with the manufacturer's instructions. That's how you safely operate this thing, safely build your house. If you don't, you will suffer, only you. Well, you and the people that you love will suffer, and you don't want that. And God doesn't want that. God wants it to go well for you. And as your as a pastor of a church, it's always interesting for me to see how much is how much interest is out there uh, in the Christian church regarding sexual questions. Lots of sexual questions this week. Uh, this is a huge issue for our culture. This is a huge issue for America, for the West. Uh, the sexual revolution is alive and well still to this day. Uh, it, is, it is something that was birthed in the 1960s. I don't know if you're very familiar with this. It happened with the hippies and the flower children out in L.A. and in Woodstock and all those kind of places. And, and uh, it kind of like reinvented sex for America. America's sexual mores before the 1960s was considered... Uh, traditional, um, maybe patriarchal, uh, a little bit, um, I don't know, maybe male-dominated. I don't know what people were rebelling against per se. All I know is that today we are living with the consequences of that revolution in ways that we don't even realize. And so today <clears throat> we will be answering questions along the lines of uh, sexual mores. And if this offends you, then 
you don't have to listen. But I hope that you stay <laughs> with us, and I hope that you uh, have an open heart to what God would say to you uh, from from me to you. Um, consider me your sexpert today. Consider me your spiritual sexpert, and uh, <laughs> that that I will guide you through the torrential waters of sexual frustration or sexual deviancy or sexual righteousness because there is such a thing as sexual righteousness god is not anti-sex god is pro-sex he invented the idea it's right there in chapter two of the bible you don't have to read much of the bible to get to sex because right in chapter two god says the two shall become one flesh he's talking about sex he's talking about man and woman having a wonderful sex life together as husband and wife Come and on. producing children and i would say it is like the, the one commandment of the bible that we actually have done the one commandment that we have done is we have been fruitful and we have multiplied because there are people everywhere and uh to this day there's still only one way to get people and that is through sex so <laughs> are you building a house or are you wrecking a house Let's get to the questions uh, again. Ask them in the. Can they ask him in the comments as well? You can ask in the comments. You can text the uh, the number, and yeah, we have some questions here already. Okay, so let's get to the questions. <clears throat> Hope you're ready. Question number one. Question number one: Is it right for married for a married Christian couple to practice different styles and positions of sex? <laughs> sure, of course it is. Uh, have at it. I mean, look, <laughs> you are committed to one another. And uh, I don't think that there is a biblical, there's no biblical rules against what kind of, um, you know, proper sexual intercourse that you would have as a married couple. Um, what we have to realize about sexual expression is it is an expression of you. It is an expression of your deepest innermost being. It is who you are unveiling and um, disclosing to somebody else, one other person uh, of the opposite sex who you really are for life. And so, you know, the two shall become one flesh. I always talk about this to young uh, people trying, uh, about to get married, uh, meeting with me for their, uh, for their premarital talk. You are in the process of becoming. Well, you only become one flesh properly when you properly disclose or, or when you fully disclose yourself one to another. And that is the, that is the physical act <clears throat> that uh, symbolizes the, uh, hopefully, the spiritual, emotional reality so have fun in the bedroom in the bedroom of a uh, monogamous heterosexual union have fun enjoy it uh, it should be enjoyable uh, the song the book song of solomon is in many respects a love manual for man and wife written by the wisest man who ever lived outside of jesus christ and it is exploring in detail um, sexual expression of man and woman. So I say go for it. All right, question two. I think you've covered that already, but I'll say it just because it's here. Uh, is oral sex slash mutual masturbation <laughs> within marriage sinful? Wow. Okay, these are some serious questions. You are the sex expert. Sir. Yes, I'm the sex expert. I, 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 I kind of regret <laughs> saying that now. <laughs> I don't see a problem with either of those things. So, you know, that's... Um, there's a passage in this in the Song of Solomon that some people use uh, to refer to oral, oral sex, and it's uh, kind of an embarrassing passage. I don't know if I want to quote it here on the air, um, but you can look it up for yourself. Uh, it talks about a man's fruit and um, the sweetness of it, and so we can uh, you can look that up. But I don't think there's anything in the books, biblically speaking, that says you should not do that. So, yes, it's okay. Okay. 
Uh, next one. My wife and I haven't had sex in five years. She doesn't desire it at all. And after being rejected so many times, I've become bitter and stopped trying. Do I just have to live without sex forever? No. Your <clears> wife <throat> has to have sex with you. My goodness. What is this? And why is she doing that? You have to talk to her about it. And if you don't have the ability to talk to her about it, you have to see a counselor about it. Um, but you should really confront her boldly about this. And if she's a Christian, um, she has to know that the scriptures teach that the, the wife's body is not her own and the husband's body is not his own. This is uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. You are not your own. Uh, when you're in a married uh, relationship, if you didn't want to have sex, you should not have gotten married. But now that you are married, you have an obligation. You have an obligation to sexually uh, exp- um, to to fulfill your spouse's sexual uh, desires to an extent. Like you know, I mean, this does not give carte blanche uh, authority uh, to the man to demand sex at every moment of the day, whenever he feels like it. That is also wrong. But to deny outright sex to your partner is immoral. It is sinful, according to the scriptures. Uh, so my question to that person is, is, is your wife a Christian? If she's a Christian, take her right to 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and read her the Bible. But also maybe ask yourself some questions. Why doesn't she want to have sex with you? Maybe you're a jerk. <laughs> maybe you don't show her um, the love that she needs. Maybe you're only interested or we're only interested in her body. So and not her soul, and not her spirit. And so there is give and take here in regards to the sexual expression of Christians. We don't just, we don't just get married to have sex. That's not the, that's not the ultimate goal of a, a Christian marriage. It is to raise a godly family and have children and experience that form of life. Not everybody has to have this kind of life, mind you. The Christian movement was started by two single men, uh, Jesus, who stayed single and remained single, <laughs> and then Paul the Apostle, who may have been married before, but we're not sure. Uh, but it was single by the time he was um, uh, preaching the gospel around the ancient world in the first century. Mm. So let us not do two things. Let us not deify um, uh, marriage as the epitome of the Christian experience. The epitome, the epitome of the Christian experience is life with God. That's where you're headed, to heaven, to dwell with God in eternity. So let's not deify sex and marriage as if that's the ultimate form of Christian experience. But let us also not nullify those things as Christians. In other words, don't become so Christian that you turn into a complete prude sexually with your spouse and think that everything about sexual expression between man and woman is dirty and gross and wrong. That's also an extreme that should be avoided. And I think that, you know, it's not in the Bible, but moderation in all things is a great way to live, and particularly in regards to sexuality. Like, you don't have to, like I've said, oral sex and those things that you've already talked about in those questions, Josh, that's fine. But do we have to make them like, that's, all right, let's go, whoa, do it every, every stinking day? Like, no, you don't have to do that. Um, let there be light in our studio. Amen. Yeah. Uh, and so then the other, the other thing about that question is, um, it, you know, have you communicated to her the frustration that you have in this regard? Uh, so don't just don't just wallow in self pity, but talk bluntly and openly. This should be part of the intimacy that you experience as man and wife. I can tell my wife everything, and and there's something to be said for marital fights. Marital fights are an important part of marriage. If you're not fighting as a married couple, I I wonder if both of you are being honest. Uh, because you're going to fight. You should fight, but you're not fighting each other. You're fighting for one another. You're fighting for the marriage that you have together. And there should be honesty, and there should be upfront um, and outspoken 
words exchanged where there is frustration or disappointment with the marriage so that you can work on the marriage. Uh, this is your marriage that you are building together with the help, hopefully, of Jesus Christ. Fight for it. Don't just ignore the problems. Speak up. And I think that men, particularly in this context of our culture today, have a hard time speaking up to their wives. I've seen more men uh, afraid of their wives in the church than outside of the church. And we almost overcompensate for the domination of males over females in the world. Or maybe we kind of overcompensate for the reaction to the feminist movement, uh, you know, female empowerment and equality in the church by men basically handing over their man card. No man, men, be a man. That's actually in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. It says, act like men and be strong. Now, he's not talking about necessarily your sex life, but he is talking about being a man. There's nothing wrong with being a man. Uh, God made the male and female in his image. Both are uh, made to reflect the glory of our creator. So man in a sexless marriage, speak up to your wife, tell her that you are disappointed. And I want to say to women who avoid sex with their husbands, you are asking for him to be... Um, unfaithful. You are asking for him to explore uh, these desires in ways that are not going to be good for you, for him, for society, for your children. So don't deny sex. Don't hold sex over your husband's head, women, as if he's got to earn it. That's ridiculous. Uh, That would be like him holding love over your head as if you have to earn it. You see, a great marriage is built on two people saying, I am not going to wait for you to earn the right for me to do for you what you need. A great marriage is not built on that. A great marriage is on built on two people saying, I will give you what you need regardless of whether or not you earn it. Why? Because in Christ, we have been given salvation without earning it. We have been given the love of God without earning it. And so I reflect that reality into the spouse that I have by loving them, having sex with them, respecting them, giving to them, supplying their needs emotionally without waiting for them to like live up to some expectation of my uh, of what I want from them. That's a great marriage. A great marriage is where you are out trying to outgive each other, not trying to out withhold from each other. Yeah. My husband left me five years ago. He moved across the country. I cannot afford a divorce and he won't. He has been on several relationships since. Can I move on as a Christian? Well, you can move on, but you have to get a divorce somehow. Like abandonment, I think is absolutely an allowable, uh, uh, reason for biblical divorce, uh, unfaithfulness in the marriage context can be, you know, sexual immorality, and it can also be abandonment, and it can also be spousal abuse, you know. Uh, so, no, yeah, you can move on, but you've got to do whatever legal things necessary that you have to to uh, mm-hmm. nullify the marriage because you shouldn't remarry. Uh, I don't think you can legally remarry if you don't get that first marriage um, uh, nullified, nullified yep. whatever the word is there. Um, and, and if you can't afford a divorce, the question that I have for you is why? Um, I don't think that they're that expensive mm. anymore. Um, so do some saving. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> cut your cable bill and uh, <laughs> save up for that divorce so that you can do that, uh, especially if they have moved away. Um, I don't think that you're out of bounds if you do that at all. Mm. Good stuff. Trying to uh, skip over some interesting ones here. No, 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 don't skip. I like <clears throat> the interesting ones. <laughs> All right. Uh, no is, question is off limits, by the way. Is uh, is anal sex sinful? Uh, and if not, how can I discourage my husband from asking for anal sex all the time? I'm not doing it. Yeah, look, I think that anal sex is bad. Um, and I like sinful 
Um, I'm trying to, I'm just like on my memory here, trying to search for a scripture in my head. But I, I, uh, I think that, you know, I think to be honest with you, the, um, the rule against homosexuality in the scriptures is, is always based on the fact that, you know, it's not healthy for you. And, and it's just not. And all the science and all the studies and all the doctors in the world will testify to the fact that, that you shouldn't be doing that. Uh, you, you shouldn't be shoving things where they don't belong and, and <laughs> in your body. So, like, you shouldn't shove a carrot up your nose. You know, you shouldn't shove a banana in your ear. And uh, there are other cavities in your human body that do not uh, do well or function well when you, um, when you put things in them that are not meant to go there. Everything about the... <laughs> I'm saying well, this well word, said. but everything about the <laughs> anal cavity that we know biologically is that it is designed uh, as a one-way street. It is a designed one-way street for the expulsion of human waste. Please understand this. Like, you don't have to be that educated to understand that that opening is for one thing only. So treat it right, and it will go well with you. And wife, that asked this question, you... Absolutely have every right to say, eh, eh, no way. Do not enter. Sorry, sucker. That's not what I am. Uh, so <laughs> don't do it for your own health. And, you know, maybe you can look up because it's very readily available on like WebMD and reliable medical websites. The physical harm that you will do to your body uh, if you engage in sodomy. That really is the word for sodomy. That's yeah. what it means to sodomize somebody. <clears throat> Uh, so no, you have every right to reject it. And I don't think it's proper for Christian people to embrace it. Look, if you're a Christian and you're married to somebody who you love, do you really want to hurt their body? Like, don't be a moron. You love their body. Even mm. Paul says in Ephesians chapter five. Is this applicable to, uh, this is kind of my own addendum here. Is yep. it also applicable if the two are in, um, agreement to do it? Like in, yeah, like I don't think it's healthy. It. It's not right, yeah. and I don't think anybody really enjoys that. And if you enjoy it, I, you need some <laughs> you need some spiritual counsel. You need Sicko. to really ask God to change your heart if you enjoy that, because it's not good for you. And what I was getting the point that I was getting to is in Ephesians chapter five, a husband should love his wife as his own body. That's your body. Your wife's body is your body. You should want her to be healthy. You should want her to be strong. You should want her to be living long with you. Why would you want to do something that damages her body and she'll have to pay for it uh, physically? So, no, mm. I think that is improper, not just for Christians, but for humans. Don't be stupid. <laughs> when your husband or wife dies, how long should you wait to get remarried? You don't have to wait. <laughs> you really don't have to wait. And uh, my friend Mark Gunger did not wait long at all. I mean, he's getting remarried already and his wife passed away. God rest her soul. Wonderful woman uh, in December. Um but, you know, and he actually uh, was talking about this um, with me when I went to Israel with him, uh, was he got a lot of flack for not waiting, but then he told people clearly what was going on in his life. And this is, look, this is what the scripture says, till death. We, 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 we are uh, a, a wife and a husband are, are spiritually and legally bounded to their spouses until death. It is also uh, the illustration that Paul uses to speak to our salvation experience. Like we are married to sin until we die to sin. We die to sin through the death of Christ vicariously. And then we are now married to Christ. But um, it, is, uh, it is clear that a man and a woman, once the death part has occurred, 
then remarriage is open. Uh, it is open season for remarriage. And some people that that Mark talked to um, thanked him profusely because they were the spouse that was left behind. And because of guilt and shame forced upon that person by their family members or their children, they waited an exorbitant amount of time to remarry or even start dating. And they basically tried to live up to this expectation of their loved ones rather than just saying, hey, wait a second, here's what the scripture tells me to do as a Christian. I am free and now I can remarry. And there are some people that are living extremely lonely lives because they have tried to appease all the people in their lives that are left instead of living biblically and living scripturally and saying, look, I fulfilled my marital duty to that person. They have passed on. Uh, The vow is now completed. I vowed until death. Death has occurred. I did my job and now I can move on. So you don't have to wait at all. And if people are shaming you for waiting, then shame on them. Don't don't let other people speak into your life like that when it's not there's no scriptural mandate for it. That's nonsense. And if you are holding that against some loved one because you don't want them to remarry, it's particularly children with their parents. I'm sure children who see a parent pass away and then mom or dad start dating is very hard on the children. And I understand that. But you also have to understand that mom and dad might be lonely and they need companionship and it's biblically allowed. So don't hold over your parents or loved ones a law in this, that, does not, that does not exist in the scriptures. Who are you to be a harsher judge than God? Uh, and, you know, be, uh, I think, a little bit more gracious because what if you were in their position? Uh, you might feel a lot differently about it. So, no, there's no waiting period. And I don't even want to go there with, well, to be compassionate or to be this. That's not for me to decide. That's an individual decision. As far as I know, the scriptures are clear. And some people can move on very quickly. And some people need to move on very quickly. In fact, even Paul the Apostle says to the widows in Corinth, he says, uh, not Corinth, I don't know where it was. Was it? Oh, no, he says to Timothy, who was pastoring in Ephesus. He says, make sure that the young widows get married. Because if they don't get married, they're going to turn into busybodies and they're going to um, uh, get involved in everybody's business and then they'll be led into different kinds of sin. Uh, and the scriptural appeal there is uh, don't leave a door open for Satan in that regard uh, because, you know, once, and this is, this is the reality, the scriptures talk about this in, in Song of Solomon and Proverbs, don't awaken love until it's time. Don't awaken love meaning don't have sex. Don't engage in sexual relations until you're married, basically, because once you open that door, that door is open and and you're going to want that and you're going to have that desire now. You're going to want that thing to be fed every once in a while. And so listen, once you've been married and you've had regular sex for a long time and then you the person dies, you no longer have regular sex. There's going to be a temptation there that you cannot help. You've got to remarry. You've got to get back to, together with somebody if that's the case for you. I mean, some people are okay with it. Some people, they can move on from being married and having regular sex like that. Uh, it's a very special gift, and some people have that. Mm-hmm. But if you aren't like that, and you need to move on because you don't want to give the devil an opportunity to tempt you in a way that would lead to destructive and harmful practices, then get married. and oh, Get remarried uh, because there is... You are free from any scriptural authority in that regard, and you need to in, uh, personally be free from the expectations of people who aren't you. But, you know, they say and, and may say they love you, but really they are trying to actually just have you live up to some expectation that actually isn't even scriptural. So get remarried whenever you want to. Mm. Uh, is masturbation a sin? How should a teenager handle sexual temptation? Uh, and what is the view on masturbation in the Bible? Is it bad? 
Uh, is it okay as long as you don't start to worship it or become addicted to it? What about porn? Okay, yeah. Uh, Two very different things. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it is sinful because of where it leads. Like, it's not... A, the, the act of masturbation is not um, for, the, for the sake of health. You're, you're basically, and this is, again, where the public schools are almost encouraging this now because, oh, it's healthy and it's, it's better than ha- them having sex. Well, again, don't awaken love until the right time. Um, so uh, the sexual side of you is an appetite that you indulge, and the more you indulge, the more it grows. The more, again, like I said on Sunday about that, that beast that some women who are not married to the man they're having sex with, you're feeding the beast of illicit sex in that man. The more you feed the beast, you, it's not pacifying the beast. It's like, it's like Nazi. It's like Nazi Germany. Uh, the more countries Nazi Germany took over, the more they wanted to take over more countries. Yeah. And eventually the, country, the world had to say, enough, because this guy wants the whole world. It's a desire that will not ever be quenched by giving into it. So you need to avoid this. You need to get prayer. You need to get, you need to get out of it. It's going to hurt you. Uh, and it's also going to distort for you what sexual expression is. Sexual expression is, again, disclosing yourself one to another. So when you engage in, I guess you would say, sex with self, you are engaging in a illicit form of sex that will taint and corrupt your view of sex. Um, I, I've, read a, I've read an article, interesting article on... Um, on a website devoted to Christians who are struggling with porn. I think it's called triplexchurch.com. Triplexchurch.com. I think that's what it is, yeah. So it's a, it's a ministry for Christians who are struggling with pornography and, and sexual sins. Uh, basically, this married couple who you know embraced masturbation individually for their whole lives then got married and they could never find sexual fulfillment in one another. Why? Because they had, they had fed that beast in themselves alone for so long that they could not then properly you know, (laughs) express themselves sexually for one another. And again, as much as sex is a personal satisfying thing, it is also a giving um, to the other person. Mm. So that's why I would say it's wrong. Of course, pornography is wrong. Porneia is the Greek word that we get sexual sexual immorality from in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and other passages, uh, the passage from this past Sunday, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. So the word sexual morality in Greek is pornea, which we get pornography from, which we get porn from, which we get porno from. So that obviously is explicitly condemned in Scripture. Uh, pornea means sex, graphe, uh, the illustration of, and so that will mess with you uh, mentally and spiritually. Uh, it just distorts your sexuality. It's taking this saw and just wielding it like, like a sword. And it's not a sword. It's a saw. So don't be foolish with that. The damage that is done is, dam- is damage done to you, and you want to be careful about it. Mm. Is it biblical to remarry after divorce, even if your divorce was not one of the valid reasons that Jesus gave? Mm. And then also, uh, in tandem with that question, can you marry or remarry a non-Christian? No and no. Uh, no and no. So if you are divorced for non-biblical reasons, okay, sexual morality... Uh, of course, abuse, because the man is not loving you as he should, not as his own body. Uh, abandonment, which you can do nothing about, where the scripture does actually allow that. You know, when the unbeliever leaves, let him leave uh, in the marriage. So um, if it's outside of those reasons, like, oh, we just were, we didn't love each other anymore, which is a worldly re- reason, that's not a scriptural reason, uh, then no, you should remain unmarried, uh, according to scripture. 
And, and here's a question for you. Like, if you got out of that marriage for non-biblical reasons, like you just didn't like each other anymore, you just didn't want to be around each other anymore, well, maybe you should ask a very important question for yourself. Do I, am I the kind of person that should be married? Because again, let's not deify marriage as the ultimate form of Christian experience. Some people, Jesus' own words, some people deny marriage for the sake of the kingdom. Some people just deny marriage because they don't want it. They are highly individualized people. They have community through other expressions, and they are okay with that. Now, I will concede that these people are few and far between, and the struggle for these people is that in our culture of romance, okay, so out there, the idea that romance is king, romance is God, and, you know, so the, the love songs in the radio, the love songs in the Hallmark card, the love poems in the Hallmark cards, the, 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 the Shakespearean kind of mantras of our culture where um, as soon as I find the one, then I will be happy. Uh, it puts a lot of pressure on people who may have this, uh, this God-given ability to stay single to get married. And then they're miserable and married because you weren't supposed to be married. And so now you get divorced and now it's like, well, should I get remarried? No, maybe you should stay single. Maybe that's God's gift to you. Maybe that's how you are programmed. Not everybody is programmed to be married. And, and that's okay. And, we have, and so that's how in the world is the romance God. But in the church is the married, like, super Christian God, right? And so we're either bowing at the altar of romance or we're bowing at the altar of perfect Christian with the perfect Christian family. Those gods do not exist. Those are false idols that we set up in our minds as things that will supply all of our needs. There's only one God who supplies all of your needs emotionally, physically, spiritually, and relationally, and that is the Lord of the universe, the triune God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who made you in their image for themselves. And so... The married, the marriage, the Christian marriage God, we have, to, we have to sacrifice this God on the altar of better worship. It doesn't mean that marriage is bad. It does not mean that marriage is sinful. That's the other extreme. But it does not mean that marriage is the ultimate expression of human existence as well as a Christian. So uh, you should not be remarrying if you got married, divorced for non-biblical reasons. You really shouldn't. Um, and then again, let's get to that question about non-believers. Absolutely do not marry a non-believer. Uh, now, the, the scripture that people will quote to me is um, that scripture about um, what fellowship does light have with darkness and all that kind of thing. The problem with that, or do not be unequally yoked, the problem with that scripture is that it's not um, talking about marriage in that text. So we take that out of context and we apply it to marriage, but he's not talking about marriage in that context. But the principle of um, not marrying outside of the faith can actually... It is pretty much from the Old Testament onward, and, and here's a great uh, here's a great point that needs to be um, enunciated. In the Old Testament, the Israelites were forbidden from intermarrying with other nations. Now we know this is a law in the Torah. You shall not intermarry with them. I am the Lord your God. This is all throughout Leviticus and Numbers. That scripture has been used to um, forbid in the New Testament context interracial marriage. You've heard this argument, right? Yes. Yep. And, and this was in this country, and some Christians were saying it was wrong in this country as little as 70 years ago, and totally. maybe even more recently than that. You have misinterpreted <clears throat> Scripture, friend. The, the prohibition against interracial marriage in the Old Testament was because your race was your faith. Your race was your faith. Every nation had a nation god, a cult a cultic system in that nation. Mm. And Israel 
as the people of God, we're not to intermarry with those of a different faith. Okay. If that person had converted to the Jewish faith, the Jewish community through circumcision, then they were welcomed into the Jewish faith and the Jewish cult of Yahweh worship. I'm talking, I'm speaking ancient world terms now. And then of course they could marry them. So it was clear through that, uh, those points in the Torah, in the first five books of the Bible, uh, and I think it's clear in the New Testament um, through the fact that we become spiritual Israel as the New, New Testament believers. We are now grafted into the vine of Israel, grafted into God's original plant. And so now we have to see ourselves as spiritual Israel. So don't intermarry with non-believers. These people serve a different God than you. They bow at the altar of different idols, false idols, idols that will destroy you. Now, here's that's the principle spiritually and biblically. Let me get to the principle um, socially and relationally. If you marry a non-believer, you might feel comfy and cozy and a lovey-dovey right now. Eventually, you're going to have little ones running around, little feet, the pitter-patter of little feet all around your home. And you're going to have children who are going to ask you questions like, where did I come from? They're going to ask you questions like, what is God? Who is God? What is Jesus? Who is Jesus? All these kind of things. And you're going to say something, and your spouse is going to say the exact opposite. Do you really want that? Are you crazy? Do you want your children confused? Jacking up your kids, man. I mean, think, and this is this is the problem, I think, with most of our sexual deviancy in the world today, is we are always only thinking about ourselves. And you got to stop it. you got to stop thinking about only you. Because the more you think about you, the less you think about anybody outside of you. And that includes your future children and grandchildren. They are at stake here. Mm. It's not all about you, friend. This is why community, the loss of community in our culture is a devastating loss. Because people are now thinking, okay, the individual is king. This is a fruit of the enlightenment. The individual is God. The individual can remake their reality in their own image, in their own likeness, and, and, and here's how we get to transgenderism, and here's how we get to sexual immorality in the ways that we see it today. I am whatever I say I am. Based on what? Based on my feelings. Where did you get that? Because the individual is key. No. And even God does not create an individual. Remember, the very first thing he says about humans once they're made is, it is not good that man should be alone. So you are made for community. You are made for community. And he even has two people now, the man and wife. And he says, okay, get busy, have babies, because you guys need community. Community is what we are made for. Community is what God came to establish. Community, sharing and giving of one another to each other. And the more individual and self-centered we get, the worse our problems become communally. It is a fallacy of our, uh, of our culture today that the individual's sexual decisions have no bearing on community. That is a lie from the pit of hell. There are children out there right now with divorced parents because of sexual morality in their parents' lives. There are people out there, they were born biologically to a woman, they are taken away from that woman, and they are given to a homosexual couple as children. And that person is now disconnected from their biological mother. And I want to just say something. The same argument that people are making about the travesty that is separating children at the border down there uh, right now in Texas with these with this border issue. The same argument that is being made by people saying, how awful is it to rip children away from their biological parents are the same ones promoting the idea of taking biologically born children and giving them to non-biological parents in the name of fairness and justice and equality. What are you doing? You are double speaking. Shame on you. It is Ooh. not right. It is not proper. And so be careful, Christian. 
don't marry a non-Christian. <laughs> Fire, man. <Woo. laughs> Long statement. About that. Uh, really, really quickly, um, and I know we kind of covered this last week already. What advice do you have for a, uh, a DJ working in the wedding industry? Wait, can I go back one second? Yeah, go. When Don't conflate what I just said with adoption. Okay, adoption is a biblical thing. We are adopted into the family of God. So if there's a man and a wife, and they want to adopt a child who is not wanted by their their mother, and, and I think this is always the better option over abortion. I believe abortion is the killing of an innocent life, a murder. It is wrong in every circumstance, and we need to allow for that child to be born and adopted into a loving family. There are plenty of ch- people out there that want to adopt children. Um, there are cr- plenty of Christians in our church right now trying to foster children. And so don't conflate what I just said about ripping children away from their biological parents and giving them to non-biological parents in the name of equality to be conflated with what I believe is a proper scriptural principle for adopting a child who is born to a mother who cannot either does not want the child or cannot afford the child or is, you know, does not, you know, have that connection. And the the shame on you comment was in regards to the first view. Yes. Yes. yes, The first view of equality and don't, don't plead the case of the children at the border being separated from their parents. When you, when you approve of in the name of equality, giving, giving a child born to someone else, to a same-sex couple because every child wants a mom and dad. I, I'm sorry, friends. Let's just, can we have a moment of sanity for a second here on the podcast? Every child wants a mom and dad. Even the mom and dadless children say this. So let's not pretend that there's a child out there who really wants two dads, who really wants two moms. Can they raise them? Can they do well for them? I'm sure they can. But ultimately, um, it, only to an extent, the fullest and the most beneficial uh, household for the rearing of children is a mom and dad who love each other, whether that's biological mom and dad or adoptive mom and dads who love one another, love their children. The children get an expression of masculinity. They get a, an expression of femininity, and they are balanced as they are raised up to be adults. So, yes, I just want to make that qualification because we are all for adoption. And bless God for the people, the adoptive parents in our churches. Yeah, I mean, and we even support foster care. I mean, yes, yeah, absolutely. So go back to that next question. Uh, next one. This is just a quick recap from last week. Uh, somebody who is a DJ in the wedding industry sometimes works at same-sex weddings. Advice mm-hmm. for them: What do they do? Uh, I think you work the wedding. Um, you know, what are you asked to do? You are asked to provide goods and services. And I mean, you as a Christian being a DJ at the wedding is not uh, joining them as man and wife. Um, it is not participating. Um, right. In, that would be in, like in if you worked at McDonald's and you're not going to you're not going to serve a hamburger to a, a homosexual. I mean, yeah. You I mean, can't. that's ridiculous. It's, it's your work. You're man. providing goods and services. Uh, the, the problem. And let's go back to Masterpiece Bake Shop, which is out in Colorado. This guy who won the Supreme Court case although yeah yeah, although even um, people on the other side of it say it really wasn't a win for uh, future forms of that kind of um, activity the 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 point and I read up on it a lot and the point that he was making was he would gladly sell anything to any person no matter who they are Uh, but there are things that he designs on the cake so these are these are designs that he draws, illustrations, whatever, that he cannot, as a Christian, draw. So I guess somebody came in and asked for him to make something that was, um, 
I want to say it was either Nazi or it was white supremacy something, and he refused service to them. And there was no court case, and there was, and properly there should be, and he should have the right to say, "I will not paint artistry that depicts white supremacy or Nazism." So that was his case. Uh, why? Why does he say no to Nazism and white supremacy? Because it goes against his Christian faith. And so he was saying, "Listen, this is also against my Christian faith to draw and to um, illustrate something that I personally have a conviction against." He would sell any cupcake in the world to any gay person, to any gay couple. Uh, it was just that illustration. It was that drawing that he had a problem with. All right. So if you're the DJ at the wedding, I don't know if that you can make that equivalency. I don't think that that's like a, uh, I don't think that that has to be something that, there's not a hill that you have to die in as a Christian. Uh, and Christians who know gay people, our job is to love our neighbors. We love ourselves regardless of their um, their lifestyle, regardless of their belief system, we don't ask, hey, what do you believe before I love you? We love. Why do we love? Because he first loved us when we were in rebellion to him. Yeah. I have a question. Earlier you had stated because you no longer love each other is not a valid reason for divorce. Say two people were to get married and then somewhere down the line they both mutually decided that they do not want to be married anymore and they are just not right for each other. Uh, they must stay married. They cannot divorce and remarry if they please. I mean, we do have a God of forgiveness. And I understand that just because our God is forgiving, we should not abuse that by taking advantage. But what if it was a mistake getting married? We thought it was right, but it was not. Yeah, this sounds like um, I, I would love to bend the rules. Please, Pastor, give me um, please, Pastor, give me permission to bend the rules. What do you want me? What do you want from me? I'm a Christian pastor. I believe in the authority of the Word of God, and I cannot deviate. I am here to tell you what God's Word says. So let's talk about this fact that you no longer love each other. Um, what is love? Love is not a feeling. Uh, love is not what they. And let me be as clear as I can right now. Love is not what they sing about on the radio. Okay, I love pop music. I love yeah. the music. I love. I, I think there's so many talented musicians. But their messages are complete garbage. <laughs> their messages are complete garbage. Some of them are, are wonderful artistic expressions of, you know, how we are humans and all that kind of stuff. But the romantic love songs are complete garbage. This idea that we feel something and as long as we have these feelings and then everything's going to be beautiful and, and bells and whistles and, and stars shining and shooting stars and flowers and all that stuff. All No, that's not love, friend. Um, Romans chapter five. Okay. Let me just get there in my little, um, my, my Bible on, um, my computer here. Uh, it, it says this in verse eight of Romans chapter five, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God shows his love through sacrifice. And, and here's what we, we love to say. God is love. And, and God is love. But listen to this. Love is not God. Okay? Most people, when they say God is love, are actually thinking love is God. And that's just not true. Love is not God. God is love. And God shows his love through self-sacrifice, laying down his life, loving the unlovable, uh, not feeling love for one another. And nowhere does the Bible ever speak of God's love as his emotional feelings for us. Let's talk about John 3.16 for a moment, because here's a word in John 3.16 we unintentionally misinterpret. John 3.16, for God, what? So love the world. So love the world. The word so, 
The word so is not a um, a it, it is not a qualifying word. It is a quantifying word. What do I mean by that? It is not God saying, I just felt so in love with the world. I couldn't help it. Here's my son. <laughs> right? That's not what God is saying in that text. The word so is a descriptive term. It is saying, this is how God loved the world. He loved the world through sacrifice. If you got married to somebody who you are no longer in love with, please eliminate the in love with attitude and start loving them and love them in action and love them in selflessness. It is absolutely possible for you to love them by action into loving them through emotion. But again, this question betrays the reality that the person has already bought hook, line, and sinker into the mantras of our world when it comes to marriage and love rather than into the dictates of Scripture. The mantras of our world is, well, I'll love you as long as I feel love for you. And many people say those vows, even Christians when they see these vows, are saying it under their breath. The vows are, for better, for worse, till death do us part, sickness and health, richer or poorer, you know, you know, those worst moments are going to come. Those sickness moments are going to come. Those terrible moments are going to come. I vow, I promise, I say I do when the stuff that I don't want starts happening and I still have to say I do even though I don't want to. Mm. I hate to tell you this, but the only the only true Christian scriptural um, allowance for divorce, after divorce, is non-remarriage. And I, if you're looking for the loophole from Pastor Tim, uh, you're not going to get it. You know, just don't ask me to do that. I can't. Um, and again, this idea, well, God will forgive us. Yeah, I mean, does that mean that we go and we, we, we do things intentionally because God will forgive us? And if that's the case... Uh, what's your attitude about the love of God? What's your attitude about forgiveness? See, I, I, when you love God, you don't want to hurt God. You don't want to do things that disappoint God because you love God. You don't look at his forgiveness as this blank check so that you can get away with what you really want. A lot of people do that, by the way. A lot of people think they're Christians. They're not Christians. They're using God for what they ultimately want, which is their God, whether it be success, fame, fortune, notoriety, power, position, status, relationships, whatever. Many people do not see God as the end of their life. They see God as the means to their other ends. That's idolatry. That's why the very first two commandments undergird the rest of the commandments. I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me and do not make any images of me. Those first two commandments undergird the relationship that we are supposed to and meant to have with the God who saves us by his grace. The end of the Christian experience is love for God. And if you love for God, if you have love for God, you will want to do what God wants you to do. Yeah. Very good. Sorry. Sorry to disappoint you. <laughs> I'm sure that's not the answer they want, but I'm used to that. <clears throat> I say a lot of things people don't want me to say. Yeah. Next that's, question. All right. Just uh, trying to get to the trolling here. <clears throat> trolling. Uh, trolling, yeah. Thou shalt not troll. That should have been in the Ten Commandments. But, you know, there was no internet back then, so what yeah. can we do? <laughs> <laughs> what, if, what if you have waited until marriage for sex, but the sex is awful? It's yeah. causing a huge problem in our relationship. It'll get better. Mm. It'll get better. How long have you been married? 
Um, it will get better, and you need to talk about how to make it better. Uh, you should be mutually gratifying one another. I mean, let's just be honest about this. You should be mutually gratifying one another. Go back to question two. Yeah, yeah. you should both reach climax, okay? Let me just put it out there. You should both. I mean, yeah. seriously, that's godly biblical sex, okay? Um, and so you need to talk it out. You need to say it. I'm disappointed. This has to. We have to work on this. You can see a therapist, Christian counselor, uh, about this. We're, we, you can call the church. We have Christian counselors that we recommend, uh, and we can d- direct you in the right uh, to the right person, hopefully. But um, you know, you waited. Here's a question for you: If you waited to have sex, how do you know? Married, how do you know that that's now? bad? <laughs> Somebody what are you lying. measuring it against? What are you, are you measuring your sex life against what you've seen on television or movies? Like that, again, I said this on the weekend. Those are scripts, right? Do we understand that? Those are scripts. Mm. P- professional and very gifted, talented, creative people in Los Angeles wrote out the Here's what he's going to do with his arm at this moment. And this is what she's going to do with her leg at this moment. <laughs> these, are, these are scripts that people are following. So don't measure yourself against what is fantasy and irreality. Um, the, the sex that you're experiencing right now, if it's not bad, if it's not good, then talk it out and work on it and get better at it. Because it is something that you can develop. <laughs> yeah. You know, when I first tried to ride a bike, I stuck. But, man, I can ride a bike like the wind now, man. I'll tell you, I'm a bike rider. When I started rollerblading, I was falling all over the place. And I, you know what? What, what if I tried, like, for five miles? I was falling all over the place, scars and bruises all over my body. I said, I mm. guess rollerblading stinks. No. No, I had to work at it. Mm. Same thing with your sex life. If you got scars and bruises all over yourself because it stinks right now, well, keep working at it, friend. Don't give up. <laughs> There's hope. Ooh, all right. Uh, how do you make time for sex when you have small children? Babysitters. <laughs> Go rent a room somewhere for heaven's sakes. <laughs> no, um, oh, my wife will probably kill me. Uh, so, you know, lock the door <laughs> and don't answer it. Uh, mommy and daddy are praying kids. Go away. Uh, you know, that's, it's not hard. It's not rocket science. And mm. don't let your kids get in the way. Like they, that is actually a very big struggle. And it's like not to be mocked because even Cheryl and I, we experienced it. It's very, it's very difficult when you have young children. And I'm sure, I mean, I would imagine it was, it'd be more difficult for the woman to get back into it mentally thinking, you know, the children are sometimes, but the thing about it too, though, is that here's a great thing about parenting that a lot of people are, have, um, are disconnected with. You are the authority figure in the home parent and you do not need permission from your children to be the authority in your home. And so tell your children to go into the room and play with their toys. Tell your children to go outside and play in the yard. I mean, or how about this one? Put them to bed way before you. These, there's parents out there. They want their children up all night, and they want to let their kids stay when they want to go to bed. Are you, are you stinking insane? Are you crazy? Like, don't you want kidless moments in your day? My kids have a bedtime, and they are in bed before us, and they have been doing this since they were born, and they still do this in many respects, and that's just part of being a parent, and you don't need their permission to be a parent. God gave them to you, okay? Uh, they are entrusted to you, and in the scriptures, your authority here, children obey your parents, Ephesians chapter 6, uh, honor your father and mother, Exodus chapter 20, the, the fifth commandment. Um, this is a scriptural mandate for parents to be parents. 
without regard for whether or not their children approve of their parenting. I don't parent for my children's approval. I parent for God's approval, that my children will be raised in the fear and admonition of the Lord. That is my scriptural mandate as a father. Do I fail at it? Many, many times. And here's a great thing for parents to understand, Christian parents. When you fail as a parent, please apologize to your children. But make sure that it's actually a failure, okay? Don't apologize for hurting their feelings when you do what's right. Don't apologize to, for hurting their feelings when you, or disappointing them when they don't get what they want because they wanted it right then. Right then. You apologize when you, like, like I've lashed out sometimes at my children. I've gotten angry. Even, uh, I think it was yesterday, I was trying to move my, my little Jakey boy aside to get to something and I pushed him down and he fell. It was wrong of me. And, and you know, he, he didn't get hurt. It wasn't that bad. But, you know, he felt wounded. And I ran over to him immediately. I you know, picked him up. I said, Jakey, daddy made a mistake. Dads also make a mistake. I'm so sorry. And I hugged him and I kissed him. And, you know, he was squirming. He wanted out of my hands. But, but you got you to gotta apologize to your children when you do something wrong. But you don't have to apologize for being a proper authority in the home. So put your kids to bed and get it on. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Long answer. These answers could be much shorter if I worked that out. Yeah. Let's see here. Uh, 10 years ago, my divorced brother, this is a loaded one. <clears throat> 10 years ago, my divorced brother moved in with his girlfriend. At the time, I encouraged him to marry her and lovingly warned him that there would be consequences that he and my three nieces would suffer long term due to his decision. He got engaged after a couple of years, but now eight years later, still not married. Two of my nieces are now living with their boyfriends and the other one is about to move in with hers, all having issues. Pastor Tim, can you speak on this topic? Oh, man. Can you back up again? I, yeah. I'm sorry. Say the, say the question. Sum uh, it up. Sum it up. All right. Uh, pretty much this guy, this guy uh, who's divorced is with this other girl. Yes. And uh, they've been together for eight years. They're not married. Yeah. Three children. Okay. Now that the three children, they're pretty much the consequences of this guy's actions are now playing out in the lives of these nieces. Two of them are living with their boyfriends. The other one is about to start living. With her boyfriend, and I think this. Uh, so the question woman. is, what can I do about that? Yeah, what, what's nothing? How can you speak on the topic? Yeah. You can do nothing about that. Right. This guy is doing what he wants to do. He's being very selfish, very pray, arrogant. Pray. You can pray for his salvation. Mm. Okay, because you need to get married, and you need to do what's right if you're a Christian. Uh, this is for the cohabitating Christians out there. Stop being a non-Christian in a, in practice and get married. Um, but for people outside of the faith, there is nothing that we can do, and we should not do to control non-believers. That's never been the mandate of the Christian movement. Um, understand that God has two kingdoms. There is the civil kingdom run by presidents and uh, in some cases dictators um, and sometimes parliaments and so on. Those, that's God's civil kingdom. It was enacted, inaugurated with uh, Noah after the flood. God makes a covenant with Noah. Uh, and then in that covenant, he enacts the... Um, uh, the, uh, the, the, the first law, uh, lex talionis, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, you know, life for life. That's civil government. Civil government has to do civil government's job. It has to take care of all kinds of people, mm. Muslims, Hindus, atheists, agnostics, and us Christians. But then there is God's uh, spiritual covenant made with Abraham, and we are part of that covenant. <clears throat> now, we live under the auspices of the civil government as Christians, as people of the member, members of the Abrahamic community of faith. We live under the auspices of the civil government. So uh, it is never our job as Christians then to take the Christian uh, laws, the Christian moral guidances and principles, and shove them upon people who are non-Christians. There's no biblical mandate for that. 
we are commanded to live in such a way that the faith that we practice becomes attractional to people outside of the faith and they want in. But we are not to legislate, quote unquote, morality into the lives of non-believers and yeah. Christian morality. It won't work. You know, the laws of Scripture, are, I mean, even in the Bible, the, the, the greatest laws ever given to a nation were given to the people of Israel. And all they did was disobey them one after the other, after the other, after the other, because you will not you will not obey God naturally. Humans don't do this naturally. We need a supernatural conversion in the heart that makes us love God, and then because we love God, we want to serve Him and obey Him. Amen. Uh, I left Waters and found another church because of some of the doublespeak sentiments and the hubris and condescension I feel emanating from this pastor. I'm a woman of the word, a Christian author, and a mom who deeply wanted to find a home at this church after relocating here from Nashville. You are both my brothers in Christ, but as a discerning Christ follower who listens to the Spirit, I feel hubris and a condescending demeanor emanating off of this pastor. This is why I opted to leave waters. Also, it's not trolling if you're seeking heartfelt discussion. Isn't that the point of this podcast? Well, why are you watching the podcast then? <laughs> if we're so disgusting to you, why are you watching us? Is that just to make sure that we feel terrible about ourselves? No. Well, thank you. Distracting others from listening by going on. Uh, well, look, you know, if you found another church, then please, would you stop trolling us and stop watching us and get <laughs> completely sewed out of that church? Please go bless that church, and I'll see you in heaven. And wouldn't it just be like God to put your mansion on my street? Hallelujah. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing but love for you, but I'm sure, uh, you know, look, um, I got problems, man. I got serious problems. <laughs> I got a lot of things that God has to change in me. So welcome to the club of seeing things that in me that need to change. Welcome to the club. Get in line, lady. Because there's a long line of them out there, and they're all former, many of them are former Waters Church people. But look, uh, my job is to tell you what the Word of God tells you. Um, if there's double speak, show me it. If there's, if I'm not, if I'm not speaking the truth, then you got to show me Scripture because I will, I am submissive to the Scripture, New Testament Scripture. Now, don't come out with some like long, you know, Leviticus text that is like no, not applicable applicable to God's people, mm -hmm. the Gentiles who come into faith to Christ. But yeah, yeah, sometimes I'm prideful. Amen. God forgive me. Help me. Yeah, it's the beard, man. That's now go away. <laughs> <laughs> Just play it. I'm sorry. See, it comes out. It comes out. Lord, help me. Oh, man. Lord, help me. <laughs> Let me just uh, say this, dude, to that end. I am not the savior of this church. I am a flawed man, but I am a pastor by function, and God has me here for a reason. And the fruit is evident. The growth, the decisions for Christ, the baptisms, those things are happening. The financial accountability. We audit, get an audit, outside audit, third party, every single year. The finances are in order. Uh, my moral life is in order. Um, my, I have uh, elders who I submit to as a spiritual man, as a Christian man. And, but at the same time, I am not the Savior, and I don't want to be. And I don't want to be one of these celebrity pastors, and I don't want to be, um, you know, celebrated and, and worshipped. That would grieve my heart. Um, I do say things firmly. I do say things with authority. And some people interpret that as, uh, what was the word? Hubris? Hubris, yeah. Um, I'm sorry. Maybe I'm just not your flavor. But I'm going to say what the Scripture says with authority. Paul says to Timothy, uh, in the presence of Jesus Christ, uh, in the appearing of a Savior, who shall judge the living and the dead, I command you, preach the word. He doesn't say uh, tiptoe. Right. He says, preach it. And, and Jesus offended many people. It's about facts, not feelings. 
<clears throat> yeah, facts, not feelings. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. But Jesus offended people. Like I say this all the time. Jesus got crucified. He wasn't a Sunday school teacher. He, he wasn't, you know, he wasn't just this nice guy trying to say, hey, let's all get along. No, he offended people with the truth. If the truth is offensive, I'm sorry. Yeah. If you had sex outside of marriage and it results in a child, is it still okay to continue going to your church while you are pregnant and not with the father? Yes, of course. You've got to come. you got to come and, and walk in repentance now. Don't keep having sex, but right. walk in repentance. And, and um, I, would, I would assume probably like, you know, have the child, marry the guy, make it right. I think that. Yeah. But I mean, if the guy doesn't get, want to get married, what can you do? There's right. Nothing she can do, but don't have sex with him. Like, that's the thing. These girls that say, he doesn't want to, he doesn't want to marry me. Stop having sex. Right. And she's pregnant, but I mean. Yeah. Well, after the pregnancy or even sometimes during a pregnancy. But you just don't have sex with a guy. Like, seriously, stop letting him have the milk for free. He will never buy the cow. Mm. You've got to, and I know that the illustration makes the woman a cow. And I'm not making a derogatory comment. Sorry. But I'm just saying the illustration is clear. The man wants to have sex with you. And you keep giving it to him without him marrying you. You are the fool. You are the fool. And, and I come down on the, on the baby daddies in this church big time. I come down on them big time. My wife, she comes down on the ladies who keep, you know, giving them the options, mm. giving them the opportunity. <clears throat> and so that's what I love about Cheryl. She balances them out with us. And it's true. It's two ways. It's not just the baby daddies. It's the baby mommies. Stop having babies. Stop having sex outside of marriage. And, and say, if you want to have sex with me, then let's get married. And then we'll have all the sex you can dream of. <laughs> Until kids show up. <laughs> but, uh, you know, yeah. that's, my, that's my admonition to you. Walk in repentance and start serving the Lord and see it go well with you. Yes. How do I get hubby to try new things? He is super old-fashioned. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking she's talking about the bedroom? Yeah. <clears throat> I, don't, I don't think she was talking about that new dish. Yeah, the, uh, right. Yeah, I guess not. Uh, how do I get <laughs> hubby to try new things? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, make some suggestions. I mean, he's. How about you? I think wrap yourself I, in Saran wrap when he comes home from <laughs> from jo- from the workplace and see what he does. I mean, I think every guy would be, uh, you know. Anyway, I know. I can't imagine. You know, like, I do yeah, all right. all right, old fashioned. What are you doing there, pal? Communicate though. Talk to each other about these things. Mm. It's okay. Yeah, like the, it's, this is the the two extremes that the church is guilty of, like living just like the world sexually and just not listening to God or making sex dirty and like the unapproachable topic. Thus, the series Hot Topics. We can't live at those extremes. We have to have a celebration of good, godly, healthy sexuality as God has intended and not, not you know, fall into these extremes god made you body soul and spirit and yeah. part of your bodily experience is the sexual life that you have hope and scripturally speaking monogamous heterosexual married sex we uh, by the way the statistics are out there the best sex that women report all the time every time they do this little survey of women is in evangelical heterosexual marriage women are most sexually gratified by and large by christian marriage sex mm. it is the best sex out there Ooh, it's good stuff um we still got questions coming in so i don't know if you want to stop uh, okay or... a couple more maybe all, all right, right yeah, let's, let's see what the next one is let's keep it going uh next one here uh in this day and age premarital sex is almost a social norm is it acceptable as long as we get married eventually no how do we stop as it. christians <laughs> tell our partners that we are saving ourselves from marriage if we've already done it and then uh, the importance of not having sex until you're married. Why and what happens when you don't? Yeah, that's a that's a really great um, 
question because uh, even the, the science is out there about what does sex do to the brain between two people, the release of hormones, the, the release of certain hormones in the brain uh, emotionally attach you to that person with whom you are having sex. That is God designed so mm-hmm. that you are forever connected to one another emotionally, spiritually, and mentally, and as well as physically. So that's the damage that you do. If you do not already have the context of committal, you know, lifelong commitment, you are um, joining yourself with uh, people mentally, spiritually, emotionally, physiologically in a way that will hinder you from doing so with one person in the future to whom you will be married. So that is the scientific slash spiritual argument against extramarital sex. Um, And if you are already having it and you want to repent now, then just repent. And don't put yourself in compromising positions and don't uh, get alone together and don't get horizontal and don't do those things that are going to lead to places that you have already been. You need to have some boundaries. You need to build some walls up there around your sexuality so that you're protected from these things in the future. And tell them this is why I want to serve the Lord and hopefully they listen to you and respect you enough to follow you in that regard. What should I do uh, if my partner and I have been living together in a committed relationship? This is a heterosexual, I believe. Uh, living together in a committed relationship, we have children, and I'm recently saved. My partner is not not saved. Do I get divorced and break up the family? Like, this is kind of an interesting situation. Mm. Mm-hmm. You're not you're not married. What are you talking about? They're divorce? not they're not not divorced, but should should they separate? Should they separate? Yes, yes, they should. I think that they should separate. I think that they need to get out of that. She needs to, or he needs to get out of that situation so that the. The marriage can either eventually happen. Now, I think here's here's the one case where I think if you already have children with a non-believer and they're willing to marry you, and you're a Christian, you marry should them. marry them for the sake, for the of, sake the of those yeah. children. And you should do the absolute best <clears throat> that you possibly can to live out your Christian faith in what is not an enviable position. But you need to either stop having sex with them or move out or do something because you're just going to continue the... Um, you're, you're going to be living in rebellion to God's word, and God is not going to bless that. Mm. That's just not going to go well for you. So that would be the one instance where I would say uh, the, the, the person should marry, because you've produced children. You've already physically, like the, this is the other thing about marriage. Like in the, old, in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, there was never like a marriage ceremony. There was never like this vows. And, you had sex, you were married to that person. That was it. It became this celebration of things. People would in the in the Jewish way. When Jesus shows up, it was it was to the point where they would have a seven day feast, uh, and then they would um, the guy and the girl getting married go into the tent and they would have sex, and they were married then. That's <laughs> this is part of the the way that God speaks to us. He speaks to us through physical means. So the physiological, physical, and relational components all come together to tell, teach us about who our God is uh, and who we are. And sex is really bonding. Uh, the two shall become one flesh agent through which we are now married. Hmm. Yeah. So stop doing it until they're ready to marry you and, and put that ring on and commit, you know, relationally, say, legally. The other thing, and somebody would say, well, if that's how it was in the Old Testament, then why don't we just do that in the New Testament? Because marriage was given to the state for the protection, guess what, of the woman, of the woman. People don't get this. Okay, and it's the women who are moving into moving in with women, women who are moving in with their boyfriends to their own harm and detriment. Marriage was designed to protect the woman from the man who would not support her financially or would not be bound to her financially. Mm. 
so that a woman would not be left with five kids and no husband. No, she has a legal recourse with the state to go after him for some money, some monetary support, should he abandon her. Now, of course, there are still guys that find workarounds for this. They still find, there's still deadbeats out there, but we don't judge the institution by the deadbeats. We judge the institution for the value that it brings, the protections that it brings to the weakest among us, the most vulnerable among us, and that is, in many respects, the women yeah. in today's society. If you're a born-again Christian and you want to get married to a Catholic person, is this an unbeliever? No, it's not an unbeliever. No, and I, I think, and I think you think you know, uh, explore the Catholicism. There is Jesus Christ your Savior. Uh, have you put your faith in Him? Uh, they love the Catholic Church. We have a lot of we have a lot of married couples in our church. They one is Catholic, one's Protestant or non-Catholic, and they come to us on Sunday. They go to their Catholic church on Saturday, or they vice versa, or they alternate. It's not a, it's not the ideal situation, but it's definitely not um, unequally yoked. I don't think so. Right. Yeah, it, I think uh, this will kind of speak to what you were just talking about, too. Is there such a thing as married through God without the legal paperwork? No, stop no. that. Yeah. That's another loophole. That's an excuse. <laughs> That's another excuse. Again, why is there such a thing as state and civil marriage? Because of the protections that it provides for the people who are investing their life into that relationship. You, yeah. you know, do you understand, people, that you are valuable? Do you understand that you need some protections, you need some rights? The, 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 the commandment against stealing is, is, is not just saying don't steal. It's also valuing personal and private property rights. You know, we have to look at God's commandments as these are for your protections because you're valuable. And so marriage is God's way of saying you're valuable. Um, civil marriage is in place in our country because in many respects, our country was baptized into the Judeo-Christian mm. ethic and worldview. That's why we have so many laws that protect people, individuals, rights, the weakest, the most vulnerable. That's why uh, we have welfare systems and places, things in place, safety nets for people who are struggling because of the Judeo-Christian ethic that has baptized or has influenced so much of our society. So when you think about marriage and you want to avoid the certificate or the marriage license, you're just basically saying, I'm not valuable enough to be protected. I'm not valuable enough to be um, given that right to say, look, if you abandon me, I have recourse here mm -hmm. for my safety and for the children's safety. So don't find, don't try to find a loophole for something that got put in place for your protection. Uh, how often should my wife and I be having sex? As a man, I want to be reasonable, but if, <laughs> but if, uh, but also wanting to strike up a good balance. I feel like maybe we wouldn't have sex at all. That, that last part didn't make sense. But yeah, how often should my wife and no, I No, I know what he's saying. If I, if I strike up a good balance, there's no sex. And that, again, is wrong. So you, yeah. can you guys communicate? Can you talk? Can you say, I need to have sex? And we're going to have sex more often because I am struggling here. And, you know, you got to let your wife know that you struggle, maybe, if that's the case. And, and you've got to tell each other because you love one another. And love means giving. Love means giving. This is, we, we, we see God's love shown to us through the giving of his son. So we give our bodies and we do things sometimes that we don't feel like doing. Because I know, and this is the other thing about women. Oh, 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 oh. Oh, men, listen, um, <laughs> the University of Pennsylvania came up with a study many years ago that the number one thing that turns on a woman is the, the sweat of a working man. They did this. They put, <laughs> I kid you not, they put sweat from a working man on the upper lip of women in this scientific study at the University of Penn. And instantly, the, uh, the hormones related to sexuality in the women rose substantially. <laughs> Seriously. Um, what they found was... <laughs> so men, take out the trash, cut the grass. Yes, yes, men. <laughs> and I say this seriously. Men, you are one clean house away 
from the sex of your life. <laughs> Get out there and do something. Maybe the woman is doing everything all the time and she has no energy whatsoever. Get off of the couch. Get off of your butt and do something and make her, you know, make those sweat glands start pouring out sweat and then go over to her and hug her and let that get on her body. And then later on that night, she'll be like jumping your bones. It'll be wonderful for you. Clean house, great sex. Amen. Uh, yeah. All right. On that, we will end this podcast. Okay. <laughs> get out there and clean some houses. We got okay. uh, we got a ton more questions, but I think maybe we can address it next week or in a different podcast. But yeah. The time more questions. There's a few more, yeah. People yeah. are people are engaged. One more. Do you want to do one more? Yeah, let's do, uh, no. can we do two more? All right, two more. All right, two more. First one. I am a Christian teen who goes to a public school. A majority of people have boyfriends and are involved in their visual and sexual appearance. As a Christian, I am not like this and I often don't fit in. Any tips for me, Pastor Tim? Uh, celebrate the fact that you are unique and different because Jesus Christ is your Savior and Lord. Uh, we're losing this as a culture in Christianity today. We are losing this. And in some ways, Josh, our kind of church is, is part of the problem. We are trying so hard to be attractional by our style that we have sent the unintended message that all Christianity should be culturally acceptable. Right. And that's just not the case. Not at all. That's just not the case. That's why we're going to be, we're going to do everything short of sin to make our church attractional to non-believers. But if you're a Christian and you're in the public schools, God bless you. My children are. Can I also tell you that in my, in my children's life, and they tell me this, uh, at least once a month they are derided for some facet of their Christianity. Uh, my daughter came home after the first part of um, Hot Topics and said to me, you know, Dad, I needed to hear that message so much because all the time in my high school I am called homophobic. Now this, my daughter, never says anything about it. Never says a single thing. She says, I'm a Christian. Olivia's and, the quietest and, person. I know. Here. And in this culture... Christianity has been equated with homophobia. Homophobia is a ridiculous term anyway. It means to be afraid of homosexual. To say that I believe that man and woman make a marriage is not saying I am afraid of homosexuals. Don't be a moron. Get the language right. This is The language has been hijacked by those who are outside the faith, and we need to reinstate proper language. And if you're a Christian and people don't like you because you're a Christian, read the book of Acts. And, and get reconnected with your forefathers in the faith who were whipped, who were beaten, who were abused, who were cast out of their communities and walked away rejoicing and celebrating that they were worthy to, be count, to suffer for the name of Jesus. That is our movement. Our movement is rooted mm. in being rejected by the people of this world. And your rejection, young person, is a sign of your acceptance with the only one whose opinion really matters, the acceptance of your Father in heaven. And as hard and as, as painful as it is, because we all want to be accepted, and here's my advice for you. Get fully invested in Elevate Youth Ministry. Go on Wednesday nights. Get into e-groups. Get into some Christian community. And sink yourself into the family of God, because that is now your family. Amen. And now let's end on this one. Can you lose your salvation, and is baptism required for salvation? Um, no and no. <laughs> Your salvation is not your salvation. It's God's salvation given to you by a free gift. Um, if it, God is not a, God is not a, he doesn't give one day and take back the next day. Okay, so he, especially when it comes to salvation, and he is the God who saves and keeps saving and preserves for eternity. Okay, so he will, the one who called you will sustain you. Uh, the one who called you will be faithful to you. 
He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. If you are born again, now if you are sincerely born again, okay, conversion has happened. The Holy Spirit has taken up residence in you. The Bible talks about being sealed. The Bible talks about having your name written down in the Lamb's Book of Life. So it's not as if God is, um, he doesn't go back on his word, okay? Uh, He preserves those whom he calls. Um, Now, there are many Christians, maybe even in our church, who disagree with that. And I call you guys the anxious Arminians out there. <laughs> you're anxious because you never know if you're really fully saved. Did I do enough to be saved today? Um, that is works-based righteousness. It's works-based salvation. And it does not work. It leads to pride and hubris. Hmm. Uh, so watch out for that. Uh, Bless your soul, Pastor. And does baptiz- is baptism required? No, it's not required. But why wouldn't you want to be baptized? Uh, the thief on the cross is not baptized. He goes to heaven. Um, you know, look, anything, and this is a great way to end because... Anything that you base your salvation on that you do is now a work. It is a work of righteousness by which you think, now I am approved of God. Eh, eh. No, that's not salvation by grace through faith. We believe that salvation is by grace through faith. The faith is a gift of God. He gives you the gift to believe in his salvation Mm. through Jesus Christ. And so... Uh, to add baptism as a requirement is to, it's like adding circumcision in the Old Testament. The circumcision was a sign that you were saved. It is not the salvation experience. Uh, if you look at the order of salvation, order of Abraham's relationship to God in the Old Testament, in the book of Genesis, he believes God, it was counted to him as righteousness in chapter 15 of uh, Genesis, and then later he is circumcised. The circumcision was a sign of what had already happened in his life spiritually. So baptism is a sign. Um, And if you are like, well, I don't need to be baptized to be saved. Well, that's a stupid attitude. Why don't you say, I'm so glad that I'm saved and I want to obey my father. And he said to be baptized, so I'm getting baptized. And I think that's the best way to go. Awesome. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I hope you have had a wonderful time with me. I've had a wonderful time with you. Thank you for joining us today on the special Hot Topics edition of The Deep End.